Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. Yeah. Like us, how are you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. yeah I feel like I'm okay. I feel like um, I'm trying to figure a lot out. You know, we I'm, should oh, make a podcast about that. What a brilliant thought. Let's do that. Let's okay. totally do we'll that. We'll figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, what are you trying to figure out? Like seriously, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I'm i always just trying to figure out Karen, our beloved Karen. Oh, me too today. Such, okay, let's hear what you've got. We've both got Karen things, yes. do we? <laughs> She's an enigma of she a human is. being. Wrapped in a riddle and neatly tied with confusion. <laughs> <laughs> so... um. Not too long ago, at the time of recording, um, we had an advent calendar for our daughter. Mm-hmm. It was a little wooden thing, like a reusable advent calendar with little drawers. And, uh, you know, this is all new terrain for me as a new parent. So I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't really know how to, um, what to put in there. So I got some Hershey Kisses mm. chocolates, but they didn't feel like quite enough mm. for the size of the drawer, you know, but the drawer was still small. Right. So in the end, the only thing, <laughs> this is probably terrible parenting, the only thing that would fit in the drawers were like little plastic farm animals. Why is that a bad thing? Were you supposed to give her gold or something? Know. I don't know. It just seems... It just seems odd now that I'm having to verbalize the whole process. But anyway, look, they fit. The- Tiny plastic farm animals are universally appealing. Yeah? Yeah. Well, I- actually, that that's, that's, <laughs> that is that's um, held up by the story that I'm about to tell. Yeah. So every night through the Advent period, Lila would receive a small chocolate and a farm animal. <laughs> it's kind of like build your own nativity scene in a way. Not that we're Christians, but, you know, like, Ugh, yeah, you know what I mean? Well, I'm trying to remember if, like, there were chickens in the manger, the holy manger or whatever. Oh, there must have been. There must have been chickens. They never mentioned ducks, geese. Yeah. What, what about the wild, what about the fowls? <laughs> were the fowls completely left out of the Christmas story? I think they were. Wow. 
interesting. We should we should look into this further at a later date. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so one night after going through the ritual of opening the little drawer and finding the little thing, that night Lila was lucky enough to receive a goat, a small goat. A goat? Yeah. There's not a listener out there who wouldn't love a tiny plastic, plastic. goat. I, I mean, I'm wondering where that goat is now. I'd like to go find it. Um, <laughs> I have it. <laughs> but see, here's what happened. Inevitably, you know, Lila would get much more interested in the chocolate and the the farm animal would be enjoyed for a short period of time. But anyway, so this particular evening there was Lila was motoring around on her sugar high following her Hershey's <laughs> kiss. Is that what they're called? Hershey's yes, kiss. Hershey's yeah. kiss. Um, and I just caught Karen thinking she was unobserved Mm. And she sat, was sitting there on the couch by herself. The lights were dimmed in the way we like to do in the evenings in winter. And I just heard her say, oh, boy, that's a nice goat. Just <laughs> <laughs> looking at the little plastic goat. It's the way she thinks about it. Like she's yeah. by herself, yeah. unobserved, high focus, yeah. like high level yeah. of focus. The whole mind and heart and soul brought to, brought to bear on one issue. And it's like, wow. Oh, boy. Oh boy, that's a nice goat. <laughs> so, oh boy, there's something that is so like sweet 1950s about Karen. Like I'll tell you another thing about Karen that I've observed in my time is that when she's on the phone doing like tasky businessy type things like, I don't know, hiring a plumber or something, one of the things she says that she never says in her non-telephone life uh -huh. is super, super. Have you super. noticed that? She says super. She does. Super. Okay, super. Super. Maybe she's talking to Superman. <laughs> That's his nickname. <laughs> super plumber. Super, like, washing machine repairman. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just Karen. I'm it's trying to figure super. her out. I don't think I'll ever get there, but it, boy, it's a fun. Oh boy. Oh that's boy. That's a nice, that's a nice goal. Super nice goal. Super. 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 Marty, what are you trying to figure out for God's sake? I have the same, I, I have a Karenism as well. But I'm not it's surprised. But to do with, uh, and again, animals, always with the animals. In this case, it's about our small black dog. He's not the tiniest black dog. He's like 30 pounds, right? He's, he's a substantial cockapoo, right? And <laughs> yeah. he is... <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, listeners. Um, he is, I just think the word cockapoo lends itself to all kinds of obscene interpretations. So that's where my mind went and I called it back. No, no one disagrees with you. Okay. So he's shaggy and black. Yeah. Yeah. So Karen bought for the spot where the dogs run into the house after they've gone outside. They're not in the snow. Oh no, not in this time of climate change. It's always mud outside in Pennsylvania in the winter. So she puts down this rug to absorb some of the mud off their paws. And she chose a black shag rug, like two by three foot black shag rug. Bilbo enjoys soft things. He does. And new things. Oh yes. So each and every member of our household has at some point walked across that rug and felt it go, ah, <laughs> because it is Bilbo Baggins on the rug. 
Yeah. He's invisible. I mean, we well, we did not know when we named him Bilbo that he would be invisible. It's amazing. But, yeah. I also have We a didn't black- realize when he when we gave him that old ring that had been lying around the house. <laughs> I I have a black fleece blanket that I also love and every now and then I pick it up and realize it has a pulse. Sometimes <laughs> I sometimes I talk to it lovingly. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had whole conversations with the blanket. You're a good boy. What a good boy. You're staying oh, so boy. still. It's a blanket. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, poor Bilbo is getting trampled by the masses. It's not just happened once or twice. It's a lot. And that shows you how much he loves soft new things because he won't stop lying on it. So I said to Karen, we have to do something about Bilbo being trampled to death. And here was her solution. She's going to go get him groomed and hope that where the hair is growing out, the shorter hair. So it, when he gets groomed, he gets his hair cut. Yeah, he gets his haircuts because cockapoos don't shed. You have to mow them. <laughs> <laughs> not with the lawnmower, especially not a tractor mower. That would be wrong. But you do have to groom them. And uh, so Karen's solution was she would basically get him shaved. And she said the hair growing out is probably more gray. <laughs> so he would be visible. So she has him shaved at a cost of uh, God knows how much. Wait, wait, wait. I, I just have to clarify. So her thinking was that we, as we started to walk towards the place where that rug is, we yes. could check if part of it was kind of salt and pepper. Yeah. Right, that and that would, would solve the problem. I mean, it, it's a good point once once you get some color variation. Mm. But her estimation of Bilbo's aging was wrong. So she gets him shaved at a cost of, I don't know, nine guineas. I never knew what a guinea was, but it sounds big. So she gets him all shaved at a it's great foul. cost. They're foul. It's a what? Foul. It's a foul? Guinea foul. Oh, it's a guinea foul. Back to foul. Coincidence? Oh, definitely. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Bilbo shaven and shorn black as night and still getting stepped on. And she's like, he'll age. <laughs> like that's the only solution. Like we couldn't get another blanket. Um, can I just say this is what's really interesting to me about this story is not even so much the psychology of Karen thinking that way, but <laughs> The psychology of Bilbo, who is so devoted to absolute <laughs> comfort that he will endure any amount of kicking and being tripped over and uh-huh. being in pain in order to further that comfort. Isn't that weird? He's devoted. He is devoted especially to things on which he can put his head. Yeah. Yeah, he goes into these bizarre gymnastics to try to reach soft things with his chin. Yeah, and, and so it's this contour- it's this like deep discomfort in the name of comfort he's a very committed artist i think i think for him it's an artist thing i think his his way of expressing himself in the world is like performance art look at me disappear on this black rug what does that say about the nature of my existence interesting yeah yeah i think bilbo is if you listeners if you met bilbo you would know him to be an old soul he looks deep into your eyes and he thinks things like you'll die before I do or something. <laughs> you, you know he's thinking something. Yeah. So, yeah, the black ring. But I just thought it was – I'm trying to figure out Karen's process of, um, yeah, just expecting the dog to age out of his natural color <laughs> before we trip on him again. It's brilliant. So, yeah. so there you go. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favor to ask. You might not know this, but – 
Ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Let's move on to the topic of today's podcast. What An actual topic? I believe so. What, what is our actual topic, Rowan? So um, there is universally acknowledged a truth, which has been brilliantly put by Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach in their podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, that people have to do hard things. I know. I hate that. People have to do hard things. We've been listening to Glennon and Abby a lot and Amanda. We love them. Yes. Um, and so we want to do them well, the things that the hard things that we have to do. You just have to do hard but, things. See, in my whole life coachy thing, what I really want to tell people is you don't have to do hard things. Everything's easy. That would make people so happy. And um, and they would pay you money. I know. And I've come perilously close to promising people, no, you never <laughs> have to do anything hard. And then, damn it, I end up having to do hard things. Yeah. Like the government makes us. The government. The government. It is. It's <laughs> All right, like this- pay those taxes. Like, ooh, get voter registration. You need a passport to leave. What is? <laughs> and to get a passport, you have to like, I don't know, take uh, take a lot of livestock and hand it over to the government. I think the exchange. passport is a lot more about the coming back than the leaving, but that's oh. another topic. Um, so, yes, the government is trying to trick us into having to do hard, boring things. Yeah. True. So what we wanted to discuss is, like, how do we go about doing these hard things? Because there must be different ways to do it if we just acknowledge that we have to. Let's be creative about it, right? So yeah. give me an example of the kinds of hard things we have to do. Well, okay, so I would say that, Aside from the government, even if you were like living off the grid, we just spent four days in a two-bedroom apartment with a toddler. Trying to get work done, keep her happy, keep her from destroying everything, everything immediately, reassembling everything as she destroyed it. The the child is using power tools at this point, and she can climb any- Devotion to chaos is a 
astonishing. And it doesn't waver. Never. It does not blink. It does not sleep. She just disassembles everything. Yeah. If it can spill, it will be spilled in the most inconvenient place. If it can be broken, it will be broken. If it can be smeared, my God. God, it will be smeared. Oh, yes. She poured in like a pound of salt on the floor. She pushed a chair over so she could get up and get the ceramic bowls to smash. Oh, she's – and and when, when she had a diaper to be changed, and I mean really needing to be changed, it took both of us yeah. full strength for like mm-hmm. 20 minutes to mm-hmm. get that diaper changed. She was so committed to smearing. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, mm. no. They don't need that. Yeah, you don't need that image. And boy, it's burned into my brain. But it's I burned was trying into to my nose. <laughs> like, she, I've talked before on the podcast about how strong she was, and that's when she was like two months old. She's formidable. Um, this isn't just an excuse for us to bitch about having a toddler, by yes. the way, listeners. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move on soon. But. Okay. And it was also hard to like get things like get things to the recycle that you know, big plastic cardboard boxes have to be taken down in the elevator. I mean, there are all these things in yes, you kind of have to do them or your life will be stupid. Yeah, stupid mm. and intolerable. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you know, the things, paying bills, um, paperwork, yeah. mm. making those phone calls with the press nine. Oh, for blah, no. blah, blah. Um, all those things. All those things. Going to the doctor, getting, gosh, you go to the doctor, you have to get a referral from one doctor to go to another doctor and they have a list of a million. Th- it's hard. I will say that that's harder in this country than it needs to be. It's very but hard. Let's not go there. So, so there's a lot of culture in in the ha- like. All right. So let's just take off. Should we have to do it or not? Okay. That's, all right. That's all too. Right. That's too much. But like in the how of how we do it, the culture has some idea. Yes. It? Very strong ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I think that this is one of those areas of the culture, those like weird unspoken little corners of Mm. cultural thought and training that is so nuts and we don't think about it. We don't see it. Yeah. So how would you like, how would you describe the way that our culture thinks about how we go about doing hard things? Basically the phrase, don't spare the horses, which is you probably have never had occasion to spare a horse or not. In your life, but that's a way that um, the culture talks about. Before there were cars, you'd get your horses out and you'd say, "Get the North Forty plowed and don't spare the horses," which meant don't be kind to the horses, don't do what the horses want, whip the horses, make them work harder. So now we are the horses, right? And we, the culture encourages us to push beyond our limits of pain and tolerance into genuine suffering, and it's like. Yeah, now you're getting it done. Yeah. Nah, yeah, a- you have to like be your own beast of burden. Yes. Yes. It's yeah. And and it's so strange that it's like when you said this was before cars, not that I think they were plowing fields with cars, but I don't really know about these things. <laughs> um what? <laughs> I you know, like it's like don't spare the horses before cars, but it's like it is this thing again of like every every biological entity must be treated as machinery yes to be used to max at maximum speed at maximum turbo drive um until the job's done yeah so yeah we can do hard things and it's better in in by the culture standards not Mm. glennon and abby's if you like um break your back getting it done 
That's better. It's better to do it that way than any other way. Yeah, it's funny. I was reading a newsletter that I really enjoy, a Substack newsletter. Um, it's called Cafe Anne. You should read it. And um, there was an interview in that recently with this stockbroker guy in New York. And um, this is not something that Anne herself endorses, but um, I just I had to write it down because I couldn't believe that this sort of thing is like still spoken. So this this random person who's a stockbroker, not saying that that anything in particular but just mentioning it um so she had sort of asked him what's your advice for those who are looking to sleep less and accomplish more because this oh, was all yeah. about sleep less winter. accomplish more this was all about winter and hibernation and everything and so this is what he said you have to have more that you want to accomplish than is conceivably physically possible. So then you're always feeling under pressure. Exclamation. You're quoting, right? Yeah, I'm quoting. I'm quoting. This is verbatim. If your list is never all checked off, you'll always have something to do. And she says that flies in the face of all the self-help advice out there. And he's like, my self-help is hard work. And it's just, and I just thought that that is that is the voice of the culture. That is actually how push. In everything in your life, push yourself as hard as it is possible to push, yeah. your, push yourself. Don't think about yourself, your quality of life. Think about that list. Yeah, that's right. The list comes before quality of life. Yeah. Oh, speaking of self-help, because I am a voice for that self-help. And one time, do you remember the first time you came with me to a speaking engagement? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was for, I won't mention the company, but it was for a yoga clothing company well-known athleisure gear yeah and so if, you, if you're wondering if it's the one you're thinking of yes it is i was one of two speakers three three oh right i don't really remember the dude but there was another woman that i will never forget because our two speeches <laughs> flew directly in each other's faces we but i went first right so i get up there and the yoga company had left a set of clothing in my hotel room for me and they said, please wear this. Remember, we couldn't, there was one thing we couldn't. <laughs> we didn't know what it was. It was just a square with two slits on the side. It would look like a tent or something. <laughs> and I spent all this time, like, they wanted me to appear on stage in this. It's She's nighttime. like putting one arm through one slit, one leg through the other slit. Trying oh, to thank like wrap God it. you were there because you Googled how to use this new garment they'd invented. And there were all these different ways you could wrap it and <laughs> knot it and stuff. So anyway. I put on my yoga yoga clothes. I went out there in front of thousands of people. The, the like the lights come up or whatever, and I'm in my yoga clothes. So I did a little dance. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that you seemed did. fun. And then I told them how how much I loved their clothing because it felt like I could just lie flat in it for the rest of my life. And basically, like, why should we do anything else? Um, let's all just enjoy each other's company and have a good time and love each other and uh, do as little as possible. This is at a company event to motivate staff to work harder. Yes. Is that right? mm, so then yeah. there was a dude whom I forget. Sorry, dude. And then there's a woman who paralyzed me with fear. She got up and she was not wearing the yoga clothing they had given her. Nope. She said they were too tight. <laughs> <laughs> she was wearing those like, aggressively business-like heels, like yeah. pumps, high-heeled pumps. And she gave a presentation on grit. Do you know who she would be played by in the movie? You know the British woman in Ted Lasso 
the blonde giant woman who's amazing. She's like a West End star. Yeah, she's a brawny giant, beautiful that brawny giant woman um, as this this. So this was a brawny giant in business like high heeled pumps, and she got up there and had a PowerPoint presentation on grit, (laughs) and it was how what you got to use is grit, and she had a film of Carrie Strug, the gymnast running and vaulting on her broken ankle and nailing the landing to win the gold for America. And she's like, if you're not working that hard, if you're not working that hard, maybe I remember it with more of that voice. She probably said it in a normal voice, but she's, if you're not working that hard, you don't have grit and you don't deserve anything. And everybody like clapped for me and then they clapped for her. And I kept thinking, do we go outside later and fight? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was like, well, this is a lot to unpack. <laughs> right. So I was thinking, you know, she could stab me and kick me with her high heels. But on the other hand, I'm very mobile in these clo- yoga clothes. <laughs> I can take her down using a soft style martial art while she tries to hit me with an axe, the axe of grit. Yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird experience, but it was kind of like she came roaring with the culture's voice. Amazing. I love it. I, I'm having so much fun remembering that event. I'm now. not. I, I'm I'm afraid. Can I tell you something else about that event? Yes, please. It was the first time I'd ever experienced room service. That's true. <laughs> do you remember? And I didn't know what to do. And I was so anxious. And I was like, yeah. you do it. You do it. I didn't know how to like tip someone. Like, and- Clean the room. They're coming. <laughs> I'm like, they, they understand that we have clothes. <laughs> oh, that was it was uh, a good time. good time. But see, that's the thing. You'd always done the grit way. You'd never just ordered someone to bring you like a falafel or something. <laughs> that's not, there's no grit. There's grit in some falafels. But um, <laughs> there's grit in all falafels. Yeah, the whole, <laughs> the whole point for me was, oh, look, look how easy they've made this. And um, boy, I got my head handed to me by the grit lady. Oh, that's so funny. The next day. Yeah. So, um, all right. So (laughs) there's a lot to unpack here as mm. those athleisure employees might've said, how do we figure it out, Marty? Well, I will tell you Uh in a minute. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true, anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. All right, Marty. So we've seen a little of how the culture wants us to go about doing hard things. Mm -hmm. How, like, as people like to say, what would Jesus do? I like to say, (laughs) what would nature do at such times? So tell me. (laughs) uh, So nature does incredibly hard things. I mean, the chemistry at work in a plant is like an an extremely difficult part. Talk about that slime mold. The slime mold. Oh, my God. That's just one example. Okay, so... 
Tokyo is one of the most complicated cities in the world, right? Like mm. the streets are tiny. It's been there for thousands and thousands of years and it's just unbelievably circuitous. So the subway system is very complex and it's not very efficient. So what a bunch of Japanese people did was they put the on a board, they put little dots of oatmeal in all the places where the major stations of Tokyo would be. They made, they basically made uh, a landmark map of Tokyo with oats. Isn't it great that people do these things? I love people. Yes, I know. And see, this is a hard thing, but what fun. So then they took a slime mold. I forget the Latin name. Can you just, I, I wouldn't have known what a slime mold was oh, if yes. I hadn't watched A slime thing. mold is like halfway between a fungus and a plant. It wanders around like a, a <laughs> like an animal. Oh, no, no, it's <laughs> halfway between an animal and a, and a plant. Okay, so it wanders around like an animal, growing, finding its way, and then it hardens and becomes fungus-like. Wow. So what this slime mold did was it roamed about the oat landmarks and then it hardened itself into the most efficient transmission pathway between all the different points in Tokyo. And they actually made the subway system more efficient because the slime mold figured it out. Wow. Hard things, easy ways. Yeah. How can we apply this to the toddler spilling the salt in it. No, you know what? That's too hard. Let's 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 pull back. It's a bit of a jump. It's yeah. a bit of a leap. It's much harder than the Tokyo subway system. But but like animals and, and plants alike. Um animals do hard things all the time, but they do it they're not forcing themselves. I don't they don't appear to be forcing themselves. They don't have that kind of psychology, right? They're doing things with a minimum of effort and yet they get very hard things done. Hmm. So I think that the natural state of nature is peace and generosity and kindness. So what if the way plants, slime molds, animals and so on, what if their whole motivation is not discipline but kindness? You know what the very obvious thing that it makes me think of is is it because I'm picturing this slime mold moving inexorably towards oats <laughs> in the model, which I myself have been known to do on a cold winter morning. <laughs> You're um, Irish. Irish slime mold, they all go for the oats. Yeah. Oh, I love those oats, horses. <laughs> um, and carrot, carrot and stick. Like everything that we just talked about, the culture is, is that stick, you yeah. know, like being driven, being whipped. Yeah. And um, what the slime mold and potentially all of nature does is just move towards something delicious. Is that mm-hmm. fair? I would say it does. Cool. Yeah. Whatever is most delicious. If if you need food, what's most delicious is hunt or forage. Mm-hmm. If you need sleep, what's most delicious is stop hunting and foraging, get some sleep. I love sleep. Oh, me too. Oh, so great. So it's, a, it's not the kindness that we're talking about is not the refusal to do anything difficult. Right, right. Right? Yeah. It's, it's choosing the things that are the mo- – and it's choosing things that are most motivating to you in any given moment and then adapting your whole life to allowing yourself access to those things. So understanding yourself and then adapting to any situation in a way that makes it kind to yourself. Right, but also like where there are you don't have an option, the thing has to be done hmm. to also 
find the delicious in the method by which you go about it, like by in the how you're going to mm. do it, you know, where sometimes we just think I've just got to sit down and do this, but I wonder if we could connect with our wild nature. We would actually um, set, like look at the space between me here feeling a certain way, mm-hmm. uh, having certain preferences, that thing there that has to get done. Sometimes there are things that have to get done. And just looking at that space between and going, okay, so let's be creative in that rather than saying I just won't do it because it's not delicious right now to say, you know. So the hard thing is the space you have to go to before you get to your oats. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, so you're going toward things you love and then there are pathways to traverse in because you're doing things, you're doing the hard things in order to get things for yourself or for your life that are nourishing and delicious. Yeah, And so you, if you think of it not as a hard thing I have to do, but as a pathway to the most delicious thing, and uh, you talk to yourself that way, you're now you're thinking like a slime mold. <laughs> I think we're talking in two slightly different metaphors, and I'm not all that surprised because it is a very weird metaphor <laughs> to be using. Uh, I think what I'm talking about is um, looking at that space between and seeing if there's any way to add oats to the space between. Ooh. More oats in the picture. Hey, there's always room for more oats in in my picture anyway. So you're focusing heavily on reward. One of the problems that I've seen come up with people and with myself when I try to do this is that we push too hard, we get exhausted, and then mistake kindness for self-pity. I shouldn't have to do any more. This was hard for me. And so kindness is I'm just going to um, sulk or give myself um, something that isn't healthy as a reward, like too much indulgence in like different kinds of. Say more about confusing kindness with self-pity. Okay. So, so kindness would be. So I have to do something and it feels too hard. Right. It feels too hard. I noticed that it feels too hard. Kindness says, let's look into this and see what's hard about it and see if we can make it easier. Mm -hmm. Self-pity says. I deserve to spend more money than I can afford on trinkets because that makes me feel a little better. Like I've suffered for this and now I get a reward. And that can get really dysfunctional. And I see this happening all the time. I wrote this book about, I called it Thinner Peace and it was about food and the psychology of food. And people kept telling me without um, consuming something, food, alcohol, cigarettes, shopping, there's no joy in life. I can't get myself to do anything. And to me, that meant they were way out beyond the limit where kindness would ever let them go. Kindness would never put them in that place at all, hmm. where they felt sorry for themselves because they should feel sorry for themselves because they'd been they'd been their own beast of burden. Oh, right. So it's just the kind of rubber band snapping back yeah. effect. If you push too far into the... Um, harsh, forced discipline. What you get as a snapback is self-pity. So maybe it's like the like noticing that that self-pity comes up or that particular feeling of I deserve something for this, a compensation prize, mm-hmm. right? Is that yeah. what it's called, compensation prize? Yeah. Like if you didn't win, you know, um, you start giving yourself things. Maybe that's a sign that you've been buying into the cultural story before that too much. I think it is. I think self-pity is a signal that you're off base because nothing in the wild 
pushes itself to a level where it feels self-pity, which is mm. what W.H. Auden said in his famous short poem called Self-Pity. <laughs> it, it goes, I never saw a wild thing feel sorry for it. No, I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself, which is a terrible image. And I don't think you should drop frozen from a bough. But his point was that it doesn't indulge itself in fear of what's to come or in um, like justifying how it should behave in ways that aren't healthy for it. It just, no matter what happens, it's just like, huh, well, this is interesting. What's the kindest thing I can do? I will drop dead frozen from the bow. Yeah. I think they're extrapolating a lot into the thought process of that cold bird that I feel deeply sorry for right now. Oh, God, I feel so sorry for it now. This is all wrong. Um, My imagery is all wrong. So what I want to do is bring in better imagery. And the way I'm thinking now is that you manage to do things with kindness as a parent Hmm. with no pity and with no harshness. And yet you get Lila to do things that are hard. So you must be using kindness. What is your secret? Tell me, because I think we can use this on ourselves. Um, so I was thinking about, last night I was thinking about this because, and it's probably not something that I've come up with by myself. What I've probably done is read it or heard it somewhere and then forgotten the source, so I'm not going to claim it. But when I have to get her to do something that I'm pretty sure she's not going to want to do. Um, what I've been doing is instead of like, well, one of the big mistakes we all make in our family <laughs> with her is going, all right, you ready for dinner? <laughs> all right. No. Do you feel like going upstairs? <laughs> oh no. my God. Don't ask. don't ask. No, don't ask. So the options can, can't be either yes do no. it or don't do it. Yeah. 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 Um, and so what I tend to do now is and I'm sure this is this is probably just received wisdom I never know um but um to like give give options Hmm. but of two different ways to do the inevitable thing and that's you know I just feel like with this topic the thing there are those inevitable things so you know and it's it's amazing Marty isn't it how often things with parenting work so well on just how we deal with ourselves you know in this world and so I need like you know at night when I'm getting her in ready for bed I need her to climb to get up on her changing table because trying to chase her around the room with bedtime diapers and pajamas is fleet of foot she's fleet of foot she is strong of body she is (laughs) um willful of constitution (laughs) and so um she has to get up on her changing table to do that so what I say to her every night is, it's time to get up on the changing table. Do you want to climb up by yourself or do you want me to lift you? And mm. it's very effective because I guess it's just how humans respond. Like, hmm. you know, you're being given agency and that's really powerful. And it does work on myself. Mm-hmm. If I just say, you know, like you've got an annoying work task to do, you know, um, it's just that's life. So I can say to myself, can given that this has to happen, do you want to uh, sit on an armchair or sit at your desk mm. to do it? Or do you want to do it with some brown noise playing or do you want to do it with music playing? What is brown noise? It's like white noise, only brown, more brown, browner. 
Okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Oh. Uh, and I, it made me think actually one of your coaching tools, the oh, the big, you say it, the B one, the one with all the B words. Yeah, yeah. I always say is there a way you can bag, if you don't want to do it, if you want to bag it, just get rid of it. If you want to barter it, get someone else to do it. Or if you want to better it. And the bettering, I think, is what you're doing. So yeah. I, I'm going to give myself two options. It's interesting that just two options creates this sense of freedom. Yeah. And you know, I think this is what I think. I've just realized this and it's a huge aha for me. The the depravity, the cruelty of the systems of discipline that we're taught to use for ourselves is not so much that they're telling us to do things that are hard. It is the loss of all freedom. It's saying, I will not mm. give you choice. I will not give you agency. It is my way. Do it my way. And that steals from you the agency that wild things have to do it the way they want. It's part of that mechanistic thinking of of the biological as... as it's also part of the, the hierarchical ape thing. Like, like people who want control really want mm. to insist that you do it my way and only my way. And we've all had teachers like that, bosses like that. And, and it's for them, it's a power game. It's not, I want the hard thing done. It's, I want to make sure that you do, that I can force you. And we feel that as a mm. lack of force. And then we import it into our own heads and do it to ourselves. That's true. Yeah, that's so true. Whereas what you're doing is instead of based on control, it's all about understanding. And basically when you say you can do this or this, whether it's to yourself or to Lila or to me or whatever, you, you underneath that is the is the idea you are important, you are free, mm. and I care that you get a choice. I care about your freedom. That's the underlying message, no wow. matter what the task is. And let me tell you something, when I am, when somebody sees me, understands me, and wants my freedom, I will do a lot more for that person than for somebody who wants to control me. Yeah. Being given freedom alone is motivating and it's the opposite of what people tell you. They tell you, you know, you got a force. That's true. Yeah, that that give them an inch and they'll take a mile. That yeah. kind of idea is what we get told. So don't don't give anything yeah. because that's because that worldview sees every interaction as uh, a fight. It's there's over this, territory or something, you know. Yeah, there's this uh, guy who used to be at Harvard Business School named Chris Argyris, and his whole idea was that managers are always trying to force employees to do things, not to get the hard thing done, but to impose will. And hmm. th then there's a war. Then there's a fight. And what he he said is, if a manager seeks to be disconfirmed by an employee, uh -huh. the management situation will go much more. They'll they'll be on the same team. Just so say what you mean by six yeah. So the things. so the boss in in Chris Ardress's plan would every single day, every single task assigned would say, "Is there a better way to do this? I could be completely off base here. I'd really like your opinion. Mm. Please tell me um, where I've made mistakes here." And it's the act of giving someone the freedom to choose to join with you instead of I will force you to do it my way that created all this. Um, high efficacy in business, and yet still people wouldn't do it. They'd say, no, that's that's just crazy. Oh, the pe the people in the management Yeah, positions. like they'd go oh, into, Chris Rogers would go into as a consultant for different firms and they'd be like, no, they would mutiny. It would, they'd run roughshod. Wow. Wow. Control. Yeah. 
Wow, God, that's such a cool example. I love that. Yeah. So wow. I also think, just sorry to to circle back to the parenting thing. I think mm-hmm. the other thing that we try to do with Lila that works for me myself for parenting my inner toddler who is very also very strong and willful. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, mm, apple tree, <laughs> not far apart. Okay, um, is. The sort of thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm someone who's very fond of a thank you. Am I not? You say thank you more than anyone I've ever met. Like you will say thank you, and it's it's like you you go through your whole day noticing what went well or what someone did, and just go. And you don't just say hey thanks for doing that. You're like thank you for washing <laughs> that cup. That is thank you so much for closing the door, and it's genuine and it's delightful. With Lila, the equivalent, uh, it's funny, I read something in parenting that said don't say, you know, our, the the conventional thing is good listening, you know, like, right. oh, you did really good listening there. But then it's like they say, I mean, this stuff can get so stupid. It, they say that then if you're just saying good listening, it implies that you just listen to my orders. Oh. So uh, I've been trying to adjust that to good cooperating. <laughs> you know, thanks good for cooperating. Same, same. <laughs> uh, same, same. But it's all like there, there's been an impact of of this and I recognise that recognize. as well after the fact. So it's about how you go about it. But then also I think we all want to, when we do capitulate, when we do do something hard, we want someone, even if it's just us, to say um Thank you. Yeah. And the, the the downside of your wonderful habit of saying thank you for everything. No, is no, there's no downside. It's, all, it's just all upside. It's just my we... attitude of gratitude. There's no downside. Except... No, it's just I'm just a really lovely person. <laughs> I am just sunshine. There's no downside. There's no, there's no uh, negative. Until I've been. No. <laughs> basking in the glow of your gratitude for about six months and you finally went, uh, <laughs> Could you thank me occasionally? And I was like, what have a for? Uh, that's what you do. And did I like, say, can you thank me occasionally? Or did I sarcastically break out in a, thank you so much, Ro. I really appreciate that. That was more it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Like me. And, and uh, so I learned to say thank you more often. And it's actually, it's like a magic weapon. It's ridiculous how being thanked, I can feel how your thanking me affected me. So I was pretty enthusiastic about learning to say thank you more to other people and I do it much more now. I always try to remember to send a thank you email to people. Even if they've done a little thing, people need to be recognized. Yeah. Can I just say that I find that to be true and I just want to say something on the side, which is I just recognized in myself that that is a me trying to manipulate people, thanking them all the time also because I just I say thank you and sorry mm-hmm. as a way of making sure that no one's mad at me. <laughs> And I just realized that. So Ooh. I'll just pack that away for therapy. Ooh, and, another um, Pandora's box. Another Pandora's box. Just when you think you're getting to the bottom. Just when you think you are. But I, I think, so I'm taking away from this um, a few things. First is that giving people options and honoring their freedom and our own freedom. Yeah, Give, yeah. Giving ourselves freedom to do things our own way. Even if we have to do hard things, do it our own way. That is how to stay motivated. And then I would I would ask three questions when I go to do anything mm-hmm. and, and and choose the way of doing it. Is and I would first say, is it meaningful to me? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Like if I'm going to get that passport, 
am I doing, am I thinking about the government that is ordering me to do it? Or do I think to myself about the free travel I'm going to have, like the slime mold going between oats so that I can choose a different meaning, put a different sort of set of meanings on it. And the second thing I would do is I choose the way that's most fulfilling, like that most matches my natural tendencies of how to do things like mm. ordering room service, for example, instead of cooking. <laughs> Lying flat instead of running on a broken ankle. Lying flat. And then the most important thing is, can I sustain this over time? Mm. Because oh, if it's one. something like Carrie Strug, God bless her, landed that perfect oh. vault on a broken ankle, but then no. she didn't have to do a whole nother like floor routine. There's a point at which the broken ankle becomes an issue, I would say. Agreed. Very, very much agreed. And if none of those questions work, you can always fall back on the old classic, what would a slime mold do? There you go. That is the most intelligent, the most gratitude inducing, the most motivating way of doing hard things like a slime mold. <laughs> so I think we figured that out. There you have it. And stay, stay wild. wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I've put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way. <laughs>